0: i'm David McGee, and this is the mayo Lab podcast. The alcohol conversation is never an easy one when it involves teens and families, and it's been around as uh, long as long as teens have been around, and parents have Long tried to figure out how do we manage this issue for the best of our children, and it's not an easy one, and nothing has changed in that regard. Uh, In some ways, there might have been slight improvements, but in other ways, there have been uh, steps backwards for teens today, and we'll dig into that on this episode of the Mayo Lab podcast. Uh, Lexus Lee, welcome. Hello. And Dr. Megan Rosenthal. Megan, uh, you know, it's it's... It's not a fact that uh, teens are drinking more today, but but they maybe are drinking in a more dangerous manner.
1: That's right. So if you look at the larger literature, it, we actually see a decrease in the amount of the number of overall teens who are drinking. But we're seeing a different kind of drinking taking place amongst those who are drinking, right? And this is the binge drinking. So consuming huge amounts of alcohol in a really short period of time, Um is kind of what we're what the shift that we've seen students moving to and the negative consequences of that. I mean, we've seen that all over the news. Um, when we're recording this, it's spring break right now. And so in the lead up to spring break, we're seeing all kinds of news reports around spikes in in binge drinking and the negative outcomes of binge drinking and the deaths associated with binge drinking but binge drinking is a kind of alcohol consumption our young people now engage in
0: yeah it's a thing when i was a college student i was living in a fraternity house and in all the stereotypes that go with it and there was plenty of alcohol consumption obviously um but the binge episodes were pretty few and far between. It was more a Friday night and a friend might throw some light beers into a cooler and then they're going to sit around and laugh for a while or go somewhere. There wasn't this concept of of if I'm going to do it, like, oh, this is a drinking night. I'm going to go until I'm essentially blacked out or I'm binging and I'm out of control. The binge episodes over the past two decades have increased dramatically, while, as you know, we haven't really seen an overall rise, even some decline in Mm -hmm. in overall teen alcohol consumption. And this, this obsession, though, for lack of a better word, of binge drinking has become a thing, and it starts often as early as middle school. It can show up and carries on into high school and sometimes into adulthood. And I think that's the question, and we don't exactly know what's behind that. Um, I can't help but wonder if there's some correlation to the drinking age being 21 and, and at the same time... Is that goes up to 21, it feels like some some uh coveted thing and so oh my gosh we got it now we got to go all in i have no idea i i think the studies are unclear in that but what we know is something has happened in the binge episodes and that's where a lot of dangerous behavior happens alexis if you look at binging that's where sexual assaults often happen that's where say miss classes they miss class the next day then they feel bad about the what they've done then they get behind then there's maybe some Becomes a perfect storm. In binging, a lot of bad things happen, yet that is the pervasive culture today.
2: It is. And I, reflecting back, when I would have those weekends in college where my group of friends would all go out and have a time at least one of our friends that's what was happening now that i look back in the moment i don't think i realized that's what was going on but looking back that's exactly what happened and having conversations with friends nowadays and situations they've been in that have ended poorly of sexual assault or you know drinking and driving and maybe there's a car accident all started with that it's like a it leads to something else it always leads to something else and for some reason though it is just like it it's prided on like people want people do it. It's like a pride thing. of I'm going to drink so much so fast and we're going to have the best time. What's going on, though, inside, as we always say, like what's going on underneath that's leading you to want to do that?
0: Well, and when you're old like me, you can you wish you could all tell them it's actually not a good time no. and, 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 and and you will feel not great later and so forth and so on. But pro- part of the problem is, though, that we live in such an alcohol nation that you know if you're watching the Super Bowl, it's celib alcohol is built in around it. If you're going to sports, alcohol is built in around it if If you're going to a party, alcohol is usually built in around it in fact, when there was a point to where I reached middle age and thinking I needed to quit drinking alcohol, and I remember wondering, A, can I? B, because I wasn't sure I actually knew any people who didn't consume alcohol socially on a regular basis. So I felt like I'll just be out on some island. Increasingly these days, though, that's not the case. You see sober movements. You see uh, more conversation. We're even seeing the government starting to alter its language around recommendations around alcohol and so far. So the pendulum in alcohols may be swinging a little bit, though we're still stuck in this binge culture
2: hmm And I'll speak for myself of I do not – I'm 26 and I do not drink. And I thought – And how
0: have you pulled that off?
2: Exactly. And that's the <laughs> first – Congratulations, yeah. but how have
0: you pulled that off? And that's off? like
2: the first question people ask. If you're 26, you live in Oxford, Mississippi, how do you, how do you not do that? And it's It's a lot of willpower, and oh there's some days that are harder than others, and being in – the city where we do a lot of things around alcohol. Um, and it's so fun to be in around all the the celebrations and all the the grove and the things you get to do. But at the end of the day, it doesn't benefit me. It doesn't serve me. And um, I, I know this now. When I started to lay down alcohol, it was I've I isolated myself, I'll, I'll be honest. Like, I didn't think I could do that. Those things could go out and be around people, could still be in the same scenes and settings that I was in before. Um, but at the end of the day, like, we talk about it on the podcast. This podcast is not a punishment, you know. Mm. You get to live life so much more fully, so much more present with people. Like I remember everything mm. now. Same. Um, yeah, you re- you remember the, like your friend's smallest comments and details, and you remember. You can see through people a lot more, mm-hmm. um, and but I'll be- see
0: through yourself. a so, lot Yeah, more. you
2: can you can kind of see through the BS of people a lot more and yourself, and but I remember and I'll confess this when I got to college. And I I, like I've lied about this to this day to some of my best friends when my very first drink of alcohol was 2015 when I got to this campus and it was a shot that I split with my best friend. And but when I got here, I thought it was just I couldn't tell people that. Like, I thought I had to drink and I had to have drunk in high school. I no, had, you, you,
0: you had were, to. You had a stigma in reverse. Right. I had you that. You arrived at college as a, you ne- not yes. never had a drink, but yeah. you were almost ashamed in a college right. environment to admit that. Right. So, therefore, your first experience would be something, even though you split one, which <laughs> I, I haven't seen that a lot, but you split <laughs> one, it, it still had connotations of a bit. It was a shock. Right. So, it still had connotations yeah. of, okay, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And it was this, and I mean, that led to, it was one of those things that as soon as I tried it, I knew I loved it and it just escalated very quickly and rampantly. And the people I was around, that was kind of what we did, but I did, I loved it, but it brought out a side of me that I didn't love and mm-hmm. a person I didn't want to be. And knowing what I know now, being in this field, knowing what I know now about addiction runs in my family, there are just sacrifices I made and there's things in the way I live that I want to live forever with that, knowing that I will be authentically myself and not have to wake up the next day, not remembering anything or... Regretting what I did.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's nothing like waking up with a clear mind, um, and but but it's not easy. I, mm-hmm. I'll tell you. For me, it even took me when I was like, alcohol's not going to be a part of my life. It took me. A little while where I, I turned down party invitations. Mm-hmm. I did not feel that comfortable going. Frankly, I'd never gone to a party since I was fourteen years old without alcohol. To be honest, and uh, didn't didn't mean that when I was a teen there would be high quantities, mm-hmm. but but I just didn't know. That's just what we did. There was a party. You would go with some in you. And so then I become an adult and that's what everybody mm-hmm. does. So that's kind of the problem that teenagers have is that they grow up with eyes on all of us. Mm-hmm. And, and and we are role models to the younger generation and they just have eyes on their parents. They have eyes on others. And we are constantly reaching not you and i anymore not but 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 we're constantly reaching for substances to change how we feel and young people watch us do that to right. do everything fun we're going to alter how we feel with a substance so therefore It it, it Talk about role models. We kind of are that. So there is this expectation that alcohol will be a part of their life and or maybe they parlay that into the alcohol shows them. Talk about gateway drugs. Mm -hmm. Maybe the alcohol is just showing them, Okay, well, maybe that's not my thing, but I'm going to watch what you do and I'll use another substance, you know.
1: And I think your observation or your comment about kind of coming here and expecting, coming to the university in Oxford here and expecting, like, that's what you do in college, right? You you drink Mm -hmm. in college. That's part of the Mm -hmm. experience. And I think that's a really interesting kind of perspective to take on all of this, right? You think about our young people on campus, and I, I got the privilege of talking to a great number of them a couple of years ago. And when we started talking about, you know, substance use and things Mm -hmm. like that it's a really tricky conversation to have and oftentimes with these groups and these are you know kind of the students i spoke to ran the spectrum of like really high performers like in the tippy top of of the programs to kind of your average you know student who might be struggling and, and then all the way down to your student who might be struggling academically um but all of them didn't talk about drinking as a problem. They're like, well, that's my reward. That's my reward for working hard Mm. all week long and doing all the things I'm supposed to do and being part of the club that I'm supposed to be part of and maximizing my quote unquote college experience. I'm putting quotes on that. They did not. Mm -hmm. Um, But then you think about that in relation to binge drinking. Mm -hmm. Well, if you only have... Mm -hmm. one or two days a week to relax and unwind and then the other five days a week you're like up to here with work and all of these other different stresses well doesn't it make sense that you have to like maximize that time Mm -hmm. and like really go for it right right? in those couple of days Mm -hmm. that you're not in class all the time and then of course it like bleeds out from there and you're missing class and all those Mm -hmm. kind of things for some for some of our students but i think that that attitude is pervasive amongst our students. That's your reward for working hard. I think it's
0: it's pervasive among teens and students everywhere because they have we we have attached alcohol to celebration. Mm-hmm. Uh, your cousin is getting wedding married, and you go and there's this big alcohol celebration. The team made the championship, and you go and there's a big alcohol celebration. You'll find it at high school tailgates, right where there's there's families and their tailgate. And there's alcohol. And I'm not picking on those that do it. It is part of our culture. I've certainly lived a life with it, but it, it does beg the question of when we're placing it as such an importance. There's no wonder that 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 our, our teens today, maybe they're not using alcohol in as great a number, but when they do, it's being binged and binged in more frequency. And then also they are using marijuana and other substances at higher incidence. So maybe their alcohol, you know, looks like marijuana used to them, but they're just still using substances to change how they feel. But it it's very, um, it's very challenging because it is such a part of our culture that, um, Actually, the stories don't always tell the truth, right? It's such a part of our Uh culture. So I always blame Playboy magazine. And, you know, when I was young, Playboy magazine would start these party school lists. Mm -hmm. And those were all always inaccurate. So, yeah, those you get flagship universities, you get places, they they certainly where there's big time sports, there certainly is some alcohol culture that goes on. But let's take the University of Mississippi, for example. I, I know lots of students that do not drink alcohol at all. Mm-hmm. They do not drink alcohol at all. Mm-hmm. In the concept of the party culture, I say, you want to see a big party? I can show you this church on a Wednesday night that has 700 students gathering, mm-hmm. 700 college students. There's no alcohol. They're in a good mood. They're celebrating. And and I think that uh, that's, that often gets lost from the story. But uh, people ask me, like, what do we as parents do? I, what can we do with our child-related alcohol? I always have one answer. Drink less. Mm-hmm. Drink less. And I'm sorry. I don't want to put that pressure on mm-hmm. parents but I have to. Let them engage to you w- with you when you are not drinking. Let them have fun with you when you are not drinking. Ask my son Hudson, who's now 10-11 years sober, um he'll ask him what one of the most important factors in his life is. I've heard him say cuz he he hangs out with me and I'm no longer sitting there doing that, you mm-hmm. know.
2: I think there's been this kind of like swap of Revenge drinking is increasing, but the sober movement is increasing, and that is something so new that we've not grown up around. And having those choosing, choosing that, not living it as a punishment of "I I just can't," you know, it's as bad like an al- living in the alcoholic sigma of "I just can't." But no, it's like I get to live this life, I get to do these things, mm-hmm. and we get to have these conversations mm-hmm. and experiences and have the fun with doing all of that still like you can still have fun and do it and i think one of the most joyful things for me is being able to be around people who support that too mm-hmm. and like love me in that and well that's what like you encourage. have to do you yes. have to
0: find friends and others and in, it's the same in high schools and so yes. you, you have to find others or it is hard
2: and you create that space which is what parents i challenge parents to be able to bring to their household
0: yeah, for me um I had a friend tell me once uh because it, it it's you know I've benefited sans alcohol from so much joy honestly, I've made more money. You know, I might have made more money before, but I hang on to it better. (laughs) I I don't know what happens in that whole scenario when you're, but there is something that Mm -hmm. happens in that. And for me, I just, I I don't know if I made more, I hang on to it better. Um, Certainly had more joy in life. And I had a friend tell me recently who'd stopped drinking for like a year he goes, Hey, you know, we've been friends for a while. Why didn't you tell me this? Why didn't you tell me this all along? And I think that's actually a very good question. And um, I've started sharing that with young people. Mm -hmm. And I've been surprised at how responsive they are. i like, do you want to be happy? Do you want more money? I promise. I think you'll find it this route. And um, they're surprisingly very responsive to that. But it's all about like, you know, here's this brain. It's the most precious organ I, we have, uh-huh. the brain. I mean, you, you, like it, it, nothing else works without it. Nothing, and yet we have grown to celebrate so romantically in this country, the concept of substances sent to punish that organ. Mm -hmm. We're just punishing it. We're just going to change how it was created to function. And we celebrate that. We romanticize that. And then therefore, we want to look at teens today and go, "Why? what's wrong with you? Why are you changing how you feel with substances? And why are you so stressed and overwhelmed, you know?
1: I think that I mean all of this conversation. I think gets to the heart of this, right? Because as you were talking, David, about this idea that we've celebrated kind of the impacts of alcohol, my mind went immediately to the to that TV show Mad Men, right? Like, mm. how cool is it to come home, you oh. get your drink? Yeah. Like, this is really romantic idea. And even though that show, if I remember correctly, did show kind of some of the negative sides mm-hmm. of it, at mm-hmm. the brains, end, yeah, we yeah, our, to take its toll. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. our brains are. Are magical in the sense that they only remember the good stuff, right? right? So, like, we remember being cool and doing all the mm-hmm. fun stuff, and how like how that is so much over the top. And then we talk about what Alexis is like—the sober movement or the sober curious movement. It's catching a different kind of momentum now than we've ever seen in in the past. And I think we've we've reached this kind of like tipping point where we're not sure where we're where we're gonna go. But it starts with as it often does, unfortunately, I guess for parents, it's like, in the home, how do we how do we start doing differently and better? And, you know, thinking and interrogating ourselves, okay, why do I have to have this drink? And is this serving me? And am I finishing a bottle of wine at night? Or am I doing a bottle and a half, and suddenly I'm drinking by myself? And all of these kind of red flags that we Over time, because it's not like a switch is flipped and you just go right off. That's right. I actually
0: did all of those, sadly, on that exact progression. But yes.
1: And and I think everybody does, but we don't Mm -hmm. think about the consequences of that. And so pushing pause, is my teen or young person doing something that they ought not do? Or thinking, as we often talk about in the lab, how do we start even earlier? What am I showing to my, my little kids, my little children? As what is normal, what is acceptable, and having those conversations and thinking through what are the implications of my actions on my on my young people, and that, that I guess is part of the deal that parents sign up for. But that's hard. Well, and, right? no, and I, I tell
0: parents, I'm sorry to put this pressure on you, but you should you should let me tell you about my story, and frankly, so many other stories. I mean, mm-hmm. culturally, if if they're yeah, I mean they're they're growing up in a world of people changing their feelings with substances, they're going to do the same. If I mean, if they grow up in a family of snow skiers, they're going to snow ski, likely. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's just uh-huh. a fact, right? Uh-huh. Uh, but I always think about educating students, and sometimes I'm horrified, frankly, at how we educate students on um, alcohol in particular, here's here's how this goes you you get in trouble at a school or a university and you you know you get arrested or you had bring alcohol to a school function and you'll get sent to some class and they're going to start talking to you about this is a drink this is how many ounces of alcohol or this is how much alcohol is in a drink this is how much is in five drinks. And look, I, I mean, is that accurate? Sure. Is that important? Sure. But it's not like they don't know. Mm-hmm. It's not like they don't know. We're so often having the wrong conversations. They're pretty aware. They're actually so aware that they're they're working overtime to make sure they got bunches of quantities <laughs> of ounces of drinks and what kind of alcohol and how it's used. This this information is so readily available. They grow up with that, and we're having this crunchy uncomfortable, clumsy conversation with them that they're rolling their eyes that and like these people, these old folks don't know. And they're exactly right. Instead of, you know, the conversation is, you know, um, the odds that these things happen when you're in a binge episode go up, sexual assaults, that you might do something you regret, these kind of things. How? Here's an important one when when people are in talk under the influence others look at them differently mm-hmm. and and there there's there's some information about that there that, that are facts it's helpful to know mm-hmm. because for me one of the biggest reasons well there's a lot of reasons I moved away from it besides the fact that I I wanted my life back and I actually wanted my family back but but there's also the fact that I realized when I thought I was amusing someone, they actually were not amused, (laughs) and how you— how others are reacting to you when you have alcohol in your system—you're not being seen as you often think you are being seen. And I think that if that were part of the education that that deals with study facts, not just throwing random things at them, it it give, it can give people pause, but if for vanity of nothing else, mm-hmm. because we we do want to be well perceived, we do want to be respected. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of innate human nature. But we've got to do a better job of parlaying that information to students at a younger age so they can make some informed decisions, you know.
1: Well, and I think that you bring up a really great point, right? Oftentimes the conversation about alcohol use doesn't happen until something goes sideways. right? right? It go, like, when it goes wrong. Right. And, and rather than having that conversation, you know, earlier to say, like, when you come to campus for this first time, hey, you realize that you maybe you didn't drink in high school. It's not an expectation when you get here either, despite what, what may be the perception. It, it actually is not. Right. And here's how you engage in the social life of the campus in a way that helps you protect that if that's important to you um or you know do you understand what what your social interactions look like like you said David if you're drinking too much and how mm-hmm. you are and and because you, like you said everybody we are social creatures so we mm-hmm. want people to look at mm-hmm. us and and think we're good and be friends with us and all of those kinds of things you know or here's the consequence of drinking too much you're missing classes you're not mm-hmm. making grades you're costing too much money because you got to do things over again Mm -hmm. there's all these you're missing opportunities that you wouldn't otherwise you would otherwise be able to do um and having those conversations earlier and backing that up potentially into high school right and thinking giving students like we talk about the tools to have make informed decisions but but this all comes back to us recognizing as kind of the grown-ups in the room so to speak That it starts with us, Mm -hmm. right? It's not just to check a box after you got busted. Okay, I'm going to do my due diligence and Mm -hmm. naughty, 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 right? Right. Right. How do we prevent that from happening at all? And I do think that you know, if you look at the the literature around drinking and alcohol use in particular, we have good evidence for how we can do a better job of that, not just on college campuses, but all the way down. We've just not curated it, formulated it, looked at Mm -hmm. it. In the way that it needs to be looked at to be usable, but it also requires, and we've been talking about this, this entire episode, us to think about alcohol use differently as a culture, Mm -hmm. like as an entire group of people in this country is it's not, you know, it's not benign. It's not maybe cool in all circumstances. It's not, you know, all of those kind of things that we associate with it. Um, And it's not, even if it does change how we feel, it's not. Changing how we feel in a way to solve the feeling. Well, it actually mm-hmm. never solves. It just covers it over.
0: And ultimately usually makes it worse. Right. Right. If you're feeling alone and you drink alcohol, which is a depressant, there's very high odds that when you wake up the next day and for mm-hmm. the next two or three mm-hmm. days as mm-hmm. your body works that out, that you're going to feel more alone. Right. Right. But you know, one of one of the bigger you made a point about the, the myth of the expectation of arriving on a college campus. And students fall for that. They mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. But But all of us – and I know we all speak the same – would say the same thing is that most every student leader I know at the University of Mississippi or that I get to engage with at other universities – I'm going to say, I won't be so foolish to say 100% of them, but but 90-plus percent of them are not binging oh, yeah. hardcore mm-hmm. on a regular mm-hmm. basis. Mm-hmm. They're human. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they don't have their moments, but but they are not hardcore abusing right. alcohol and other substances, yet they have come to college and are becoming leaders mm-hmm. in a myriad of areas. So that, therefore, speaks to itself that the myth is wrong, mm-hmm. that it's not true, that it's not only not an expectation of college that if you really want to have high success in college, Mm -hmm. it's actually not a part of what you do. Mm
2: -mm, mm -mm. And I talk to a lot of college um, students, and we have these conversations, and they're just so excited when i tell them it's okay good for you like and they just want to feel that support from other people too and they want to talk about it and but they just feel ashamed to talk about it like they can't um and so every every campus you go to there are people that don't want to drink and i think that number is increasing as we've talked about um and don't be afraid to be that person that kind of puts a stake in the flat you know flag down and says hey Mm -hmm. this is what i'm doing this is how i'm living my life you're going to attract those people around you that are going to also live that life and do that. And then it's just a movement in its own and you're supported and you're living your life forward. But I just, in what kind of what we've been talking about, circling back a little bit of how you're perceived when you drink. And then this paradox of social media that we've Mm -hmm. talked about Mm -hmm. of, you know, how you're perceived, you want to be perceived on social media this one way, but yet you're going to go out and drink and do all these other things. And like, tell me how that lines up. Tell me, tell me where that's at. And so I think they fuel each other in the worst possible way. It's like pouring gasoline on a fire. Right. Then it's and like I have to counteract yeah. that of right. and like overdo that. Mm-hmm. And I just, I've just i been sitting here thinking, and when we were talking, it kind of just clicked for me of, I think this might be – we need to dig into this more mm-hmm. of that idea.
0: Well, it does. And, and I, I talked to a young lady who's a college student uh, in the last couple of weeks, and she was talking about this guilt around this yes. same thing. And she's like – you know, I haven't been and I was trying to say, "Well, what do you mean?" And she said, "Well, I've been going out and drinking too much with friends and then, you know, we usually feel bad and guilty and then I realized this is not who I am. This is not." And I said, "Well, see, we humans are complicated. I'm sure it's who you are. You're just still working out where you want to spend your time. Oh, I'm not saying you are that. I'm saying you are that in that you are human <laughs> and you might make a what you feel like is a mistake. That's right. human, right? But you I said the fact that you're able to articulate <laughs> it and talk through it. I think the key is just don't be too hard on yourself. Just, mm-hmm. you know, you're human. Mm-hmm. You're trying to figure it out, and you will. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that alone gave her some freedom. Uh, one thing that before we wrap this up, I have to say um, – and, you know, my, my role in kind of this movement for student well-being, my personal role is really one as an advocate for mm-hmm. students and students and families, and I don't spend any time on policy. And if I do ever make a move on policy, it's only because the research is so absolutely clear. But I got to speak the truth. I, I, I feel very conflicted about the 21 drinking age, and I'm not putting you on the spot to speak to it as far as how you feel. You're probably like me. I, I don't know that we have the answers, but here's what... I do know. I live in a college community and I watch a lot of students arrive in college at 18. They're moving away from home. They're, you know, moving into a dorm. They're not under their parents' roof. The HIPAA laws treat them as an adult. They're in, 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 and yet they cannot go into a bar unless they go get a fake ID, which is quite illegal to me and is fraud. And I got a lot of issues with that. And I don't like putting them in that uncomfortable situation. I think that um, increasingly we are we're going to require more studies around this 18 to 21 drinking age to understand, is this contributing to more binging or not? And also, if it were lowered, did laws around drunk driving do that more or did the drinking age? I just feel like We don't have all the answers there, but something is pushing our young people to more alcohol binging, and we need to really figure out what, and we might want to make a movement against whatever that is. Do I think it's the 21 drinking age? I don't know. It's purely anecdotal, but all I know is when it used to be 18, I saw a lot less binge drinking. That's what I know.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think if you look to other places, and again, I don't know the right answer either, but to other places around the world, we see great variation mm-hmm. in the drinking age. Um Legal drinking age and and the outcomes within those places are dramatically different than they are here in the United States. Now, a not insignificant part of that is the culture of mm-hmm. this space, right? Because um, people often talk, often point to you like places in European right. countries where where drinking is normalized, but it's not. It, mm-hmm. And and for the most part, and they still have problems, just like everybody does. But for the most part, it's not. Problematic in the same kind of ways drinking might be.
0: They don't binge as much, but they have pretty high incidence of adult alcoholism. Right. right. Exactly. But the binging is mm-hmm. less.
1: Exactly. And so I think it is worthy of our digging into in a different kind of way. And I think, but I also at the same time, I think it necessitates a much bigger, and we always say this, and I feel like it's kind of probably annoying, but a much bigger conversation as a group, like, mm-hmm. what is acceptable or not acceptable? Because this conversation, even amongst us, having the discussion of, of, you know, Alexis admitting, like, I don't drink, I don't drink either, but in certain company, I would never say that. You wouldn't say even... That. Yes. Well, thank you. You
0: just told the whole world here, Megan, but right. yes. But, but, uh, I, but no. I
1: wouldn't say that because I, it's, I it. it's, it's not mm-hmm. something that is acceptable. Oh, I would totally and it, agree. And it puts you in a different kind of position to, to have the an people around to you, mm-hmm. right? And And, but like, what's the big deal? Like, really, what is the big deal about that? But it is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Or if you sit down at a group at a professional setting as an adult, you know, and you're not drinking, people Mm -hmm. are like,
0: not because you're
1: not. Drinking yourself, but because suddenly the perception is uh, I'm uh, going to judge uh, you for. That. I was yes. at a party
0: the other day, and, and people that know me know, but those that don't, they tried to fill me, get me a drink like six times. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. actually, I get a little weary of. So imagine being a teenager when right. I'm not right. even right. comfortable right. and sure who I am, and let's say it's a it's a celebration mm-hmm. night and this mm-hmm. binge thing is going down. It 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 I can barely fight that off as an adult. For them, I think there's some real pressure there.
1: Absolutely, and I think until we as a group grapple with the reality of that. Look, if you want to drink and it's not causing you problems and you're like, go drink, it's fine. Like who cares? Absolutely. Right? If you made a decision not to drink yes. for a host of different reasons, either it's not serving you or if you've had a, a mm-hmm. problematic relationship with mm-hmm. it in the past, whatever that looks like, fine, who cares? Right. Right? But, but until we get the, the, you know, kind of large, we get okay with that, mm-hmm. we, Delving into what the drinking age should or should not be, delving into any of these other issues is going to be incredibly problematic because we're not being Mm -hmm. honest with ourselves. Mm -hmm,
2: mm -hmm. I I had a friend literally this past weekend went to had had wedding festivities and someone came up to her. She wasn't drinking. And said, "'Are you pregnant and like had this whole oh, conversation, and oh, she texted me immediately, oh, and I was like this is it. this is a problem you yeah. do not and then don't yeah, yeah don't project on yeah. other people vice yeah. versa kind of thing you're yes. just like it, no, it's not that yeah. and then I also I want added to add into this of like the legal versus illegal thing of students getting fake IDs drinking underage, getting away with doing illegal things earlier in life. They just know that they can get away with it, then mm-hmm. continuing to get away with it, and then it spirals into right. worse things. Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm.
0: I, I think that this con- these type of conversations we have on these many episodes, I, I would I, I just sat here when you were y'all were having that and thought, what if we could get the get something created, you know, in cities or regionally where mm-hmm. we could get young people around a round table. I would love to hear oh, yes. their thoughts on the drinking yes. age. I would like to hear their thoughts on the alcohol culture. I would like to hear their thoughts on, you know, stronger street marijuana, these kind of things. It, it feels like as we're just having this, I thought, what, what if what if we convened a round table of students and we really let them flesh that out? It might shed a lot of light. Uh, thank you all so much uh, for Dr. Megan Rosenthal and Alexis Lee. I'm David McGee. Come back and see us next time.
2: The Mayo Lab podcast is produced by Dr. Natasha Jeter, Dr. Megan Rosenthal, David McGee, Alexis Lee, and Slade Lewis. This podcast was recorded at Broadcast Studio in Oxford, Mississippi. The show was mixed and mastered by Clay Jones, and our original music was composed by Slade Lewis. The Mayo Lab podcast is brought to you by the William McGee Institute for Student Wellbeing. For more information on the Mayo Lab, head over to themayolab.com And follow us on social media at The Mayo Lab. If you enjoyed listening to The Mayo Lab Podcast with David McGee, we need your help. Tell others about it. And we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this podcast. This podcast represents the opinions of David McGee and guests of the show. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for the medical advice of a licensed counselor or physician. The listener should consult with their mental health professional in any matters relating to his or her health or the health of a child.